The love of the Father and the Son is freely given, but also includes hope and expectations. Again, quoting President Nelson, God's laws are motivated entirely by His infinite love for us and His desire for us to become all we can become. Because they love you, they do not want to leave you just as you are. Because they love you, they want you to have joy and success. Because they love you, they want you to repent, because that is the path to happiness. But it is your choice. They honor your agency. You must choose to love them, to serve them, to keep their commandments. Then they can more abundantly bless you as well as love you. In former days, disciples of the Lord were firm and would suffer even unto death rather than commit sin. In latter days, devoted disciples of the Lord are just as firm. Real love for the sinner may compel courageous confrontation, not acquiescence. Real love does not support self-destructing behavior. Beginning at this place on this day, I exhort you to sweep the earth with messages filled with righteousness and truth, messages that are authentic, edifying, and praiseworthy, and literally to sweep the earth as with a flood. What if the day of His coming was tomorrow? If we knew that we would meet the Lord tomorrow, through our premature death or through His unexpected coming, what would we do today? What confessions would we make? What practices would we discontinue? What accounts would we settle? What forgivenesses would we extend? What testimonies would we bear? If we would do those things then, why not now? To all of our mothers everywhere, past, present, or future, I say thank you. Thank you for giving birth, for shaping souls, for forming character, and for demonstrating the pure love of Christ. Thank you for your crucial role in fulfilling the purposes of eternity. To all mothers in every circumstance, including those who struggle and all will, I say, be peaceful. Believe in God and yourself. You are doing better than you think you are. For Satan has declared war on motherhood. He knows that those who rock the cradle can rock his earthly empire. And he knows that without righteous mothers loving and leading the next generation, the kingdom of God will fail. For Satan has declared war on motherhood. He knows that those who rock the cradle can rock his earthly empire. And he knows that without righteous mothers loving and leading the next generation, 
the kingdom of God will fail. There is no other way or means whereby man can be saved, only in and through Christ. Behold, he is the life and the light of the world. I joyfully declare my witness of the divinity and living reality of the Eternal Father and of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. In our Savior we find joy, and in Him we find the assurance of peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Finally, I testify that what a wise man wrote is true. If you have not chosen the kingdom of God, it will in the end make no difference what you have chosen instead. I think it would be very self-defeating for anyone to somehow think, because I'm not perfect, then I'm, I'm obviously then just a failure. Let, let's not talk about perfection here. If we're moving and trying and praying and weeping, uh, that's, that's what God applauds and that's what he'll help. I think that the thing that God loves most about being God is the chance to be merciful and see the gratitude in the faces and in the hearts uh, of those who didn't think they could find mercy and probably didn't think they were worthy of it. Without compromise or equivocation, no one, no one can ever say that they're beyond the pale of the atonement. No one can sink lower than the light of Christ shines. That is not possible. The Lord works from the inside out. The world works from the outside in. The world would take people out of the slums. Christ takes the slums out of the people and then they take themselves out of the slums. Now I have what every true disciple has. It is called the testimony of Jesus. In our day, it includes the revealed knowledge that the earthly kingdom will triumph. In this connection, may I set before you this illustration. The church is like a great caravan, organized, prepared, following an appointed course, with its captains of tens and captains of hundreds all in place. What does it matter if a few barking dogs snap at the wheels of the, at the heels of the weary travelers, or that predators claim those few who fall by the way? The caravan moves on. Is there a ravine to cross, a miry mud hole to pull through? A steep grade to climb, so be it. The oxen are strong, the teamsters wise, the caravan moves on. Are there storms that rage along the way? Floods that wash away the bridges, deserts to cross, and rivers to ford? Such is life in this fallen sphere. The caravan 
lives on. Ahead is the celestial city, the eternal Zion of our God. For all who maintain their position in the caravan shall find food and drink and rest. Thank God that the caravan moves on. I am one of his witnesses, and in the coming day I shall feel the nail marks in his hands and in his feet, and shall wet his feet with my tears. But I shall not know any better then than I know now, that he is God's almighty Son, that he is our Savior and Redeemer, and that salvation comes in and through his atoning blood and in no other way. God grant that all of us may walk in the light as God our Father is in the light, so that according to the promises, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, will cleanse us from all sin. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Innocent-sounding phrases are now used to give approval to sinful practices. Thus, the term alternative lifestyle is used to justify adultery and homosexuality, freedom of choice to justify abortion, meaningful relationships, and self-fulfillment to justify sex outside of marriage. If we continue with present trends, we can expect to have more emotionally disturbed young people, more divorce, more depression, and more suicide. The family is the most effective place to instill lasting values in its members. Where family life is strong and based on principle and practices of the gospel of Jesus Christ, these problems do not as readily appear. My message this morning is to return to the God-ordained fundamentals that will ensure love, stability, and happiness in our homes. I have no hesitancy in stating, brothers and sisters, that unless checked, permissiveness by the end of its journey will cause humanity to stare in mute disbelief at its awful consequences. Ironically, as some people become harder, they use softer words to describe dark deeds. This too is part of being sedated by secularism. Needless abortion, for instance, is a reproductive health procedure, which is an even more spongy expression than termination of pregnancy. Illegitimacy gives way to the wholly sanitized non-marital birth or alternative parenting. 
church members will live in this wheat and tare situation until the millennium. Some real tares even masquerade as wheat, including the few eager individuals who lecture the rest of us about church doctrines in which they no longer believe. They criticize the use of church resources to which they no longer contribute. They condescendingly seek to counsel a brethren whom they no longer sustain. Confrontive, except of themselves, of course, they leave the church, but they cannot leave the church alone. Like the throng on the ramparts of the great and spacious building, they are intensely and busily preoccupied, pointing fingers of scorn at the steadfast iron rodders. Pride is a very misunderstood sin, and many are sinning in ignorance. In the scriptures there is no such thing as righteous pride. It is always considered a sin. Therefore, no matter how the world uses the term, we must understand how God uses the term so we can understand the language of holy writ and profit thereby. Most of us think of pride as self-centeredness, conceit, boastfulness, arrogance, or haughtiness. All of these are elements of the sin, but the heart or core is still missing. The central feature of pride is enmity. Enmity toward God and enmity toward our fellow men. Enmity means hatred, hatred toward hostility to, or a state of opposition. It is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Pride is essentially competitive in nature. We pit our will against God's. When we direct our pride toward God, it is in the spirit of my will and not thine be done. As Paul said, they seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Our will in competition to God's will allows desires, appetites, and passions to go unbridled. The proud cannot accept the authority of God giving direction to their lives. They pit their perceptions of truth against God's great knowledge, their abilities versus God's priesthood power, their accomplishments against His mighty works. Our enmity toward God takes on many labels, such as rebellion, hard-heartedness, stiff-neckedness, unrepentant, puffed-up, easily offended, and sign-seekers. The proud wish God would agree with them. They aren't interested in changing their opinions to agree with God. In terms of physical abuse, I have never accepted the principle of spare the rod and spoil the child. I will be forever grateful for a father who never laid a hand in anger upon his children. Somehow he had the wonderful talent to let them know what was expected of them and to give them encouragement in achieving it. 
I am persuaded that violent fathers produce violent sons. I am satisfied that such punishment in most instances does more damage than good. Children don't need beating. They need love and encouragement. They need fathers to whom they can look with respect rather than fear. Above all, they need example. I recently read a biography of George H. Brimhall, who at one time served as president of Brigham Young University. Concerning him, someone said that he raised his boys with a rod, a fishing rod. That says it all. Recently, I read an author who said, Our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. That is because there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second, is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. I believe that to be absolutely true. And no such claiming and counterclaiming anywhere is more crucial and conspicuous than that being waged for the minds and morals, the personal purity of the young. Brethren, part of my warning voice tonight is that this will only get worse. The door to permissiveness, it seems, the door to lewdness and vulgarity and obscenity swings only one way. It only opens farther and farther. It never seems to swing back. Individuals can choose to close it, but it is certain, historically speaking, that public appetite and public policy will not close it. No, in the moral realm, the only real control you have is self-control. If you are struggling, brethren, with self-control in what you look at or listen to, in what you say or what you do, I ask you to pray to your Father in heaven for help. Pray to him as Enos did, who wrestled before God and struggled mightily in the Spirit. Wrestle like Jacob did with the angel, refusing to let go until a blessing had come. Talk to your mom and dad. Talk to your bishop. Get the best help you can from the good people who surround you. Avoid at all costs others who would tempt you. Weaken your will. Perpetuate the problem. If anyone does not feel worthy tonight, he can become worthy through repentance and the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior wept and bled and died for you. He has given everything for your happiness and salvation. He certainly is not going to withhold help from you now. Then you can help others to whom you are to send now and in the future as one holding the priesthood of God. You can then be, as a missionary, what the Lord described as a physician to the church. Young men, we love you. We worry about you and want to help you every way we can. 
Nearly 200 years ago, William Wordsworth wrote that the world is too much with us. What on earth would he say about the encroachments pressing in on your souls and sensibilities today? In addressing some of these problems facing you, we are mindful that an absolute multitude of young men are faithfully living the gospel and standing resolutely before the Lord. I am sure that multitude includes the overwhelming majority of all who are listening here tonight. But the cautions we give to the few are important reminders even to the faithful. In the most difficult and discouraging days of World War II, Winston Churchill said to the people of England, To every man there comes that special moment when he is figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a special thing, unique to him and fitted to his talent. What a tragedy if that moment finds him unprepared or unqualified for the work which would be his finest hour. Sometimes we as leaders of the Church are criticized for holding firm to the laws of God, defending the Savior's doctrine, and resisting the social pressures of our day. But our commission as ordained apostles is to go into all the world to preach His gospel into every creature. That means we are commanded to teach truth. In doing so, sometimes we are accused of being uncaring as we teach the Father's requirements for exaltation in the celestial kingdom. But wouldn't it be far more uncaring for us not to tell the truth, not to teach what God has revealed? It is precisely because we do care deeply about all of God's children that we proclaim His truth. We may not always tell people what they want to hear. Prophets are rarely popular. <laughs> but we will always teach the truth. My dear young friends, exaltation is not easy. Requirements include a focused and persistent effort to keep God's laws and rigorously repenting when we don't. But the reward for doing so is far greater than anything we can imagine because it brings us joy here and never-ending happiness hereafter. Thus, our commission as apostles is to teach nothing but truth. That commission does not give us the authority to modify divine law. What if the day of His coming was tomorrow? If we knew that we would meet the Lord tomorrow, through our premature death or through His unexpected coming, what would we do today? What confessions would we make? What practices would we discontinue? What accounts would we settle? What forgivenesses would we extend? What testimonies would we bear? If we would do those things then, why not now? 